Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. Matching the weight of the food and the weight of the wine is probably most important. You have a dry red wine and a, a light flaky fish. They're really going to conflict with each other. The The wine's going to overpower the flavors of the fish, and the fish isn't going to taste as good with that, the tannin from the red wine. I'm Julia Colon, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Well, the weather outside is frightful, as in frightfully hot and humid. So this week, we're getting suggestions for wines that pair perfectly with Florida's sweltering summer. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Here in Florida, we enjoy year-round warm weather, but we Floridians still tend to change up our meals in the summer. From barbecues to beaches to boat rides, summertime lends itself to a different way of eating and, therefore, drinking. I recently visited Rococo Steak in St. Petersburg to chat with the restaurant's sommelier, Will Howard. In this conversation, Will shares advice for summer food and wine pairings, why you might want to try vintage or small batch wines, and the bottle that's on his summer bucket list. What is Rococo all about? First of all, it's beautiful. It just, the rooms go on forever. And they're like these lush fabrics. Can you just paint a picture for people who haven't been? So we are in a historical building in downtown St. Petersburg. Uh, The building itself was built in 1926. It was actually originally a funeral home. No. It was, yeah. So we get questions about that all the time. I have a lot of questions about that. (laughs) The building was originally a funeral home. So it's a huge brick building. And it was gifted to the YWCA at some point. So it operated as that for one generation generation and then it became a steakhouse in 2013 so a huge building a lot of small dining rooms throughout the building you walk in the front door you have the bar and a couple small dining rooms and you come through a maze of dining rooms towards the wine cellar in the back of the restaurant and that's the layout a lot of big windows and and light okay so we'll get to the beverages but in terms of food what is rococo known for steak uh, definitely a steakhouse, but a modern steakhouse as well. So we offer, in addition to Allen Brothers steaks, which we have prime steaks and Black Angus steaks, we often feature Wagyu. The chef is active in purveying fresh seafood as well. He's filleting and preparing fish fresh every day as well. Okay, so we're here to talk about summer wine pairings. How do summer wine pairings differ from any other season, especially in Florida where it's hot yeah, all the time? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that it does. <laughs> I don't know myself, really. You know, Florida is just, it's different. We have summer-like weather in the wintertime, although uh, there's definitely more of a lean towards fresh fruits and, you know, bright food. With wine, it goes the same way as the food. So... 
I guess then we have to reverse engineer it. It's like, what are we eating in the summer? And then what do we pair with that? Is summer a big that is That's exactly right. Yeah, the wine and the food go hand in hand. And I think that with what you're doing and what you're eating kind of determines what you're drinking. Okay, so what are you eating? <laughs> I'm eating steak, obviously, right? <laughs> year-round. <laughs> no, the summertime, like, more geared towards, like, barbecues, vacations, beach, you know, things like that. Time with the family and uh, lighter summer food you're pairing typically with lighter wines. Okay, let's, let's go over some examples. One example would be Branzino. We have a Branzino on our menu. It's a Mediterranean sea bass. It's a light, flaky white fish, something like that. You want to match the weight of the food with the weight of the wine. So we'd be pairing a lighter bodied wine with that, probably a white wine. And you can think of in a food pairing as the food as an ingredient in the dish. You have fat, acid, sugar, those things that you're trying to balance in a dish if you're cooking. Think of like a lemon butter sauce with seafood. You have the tangy and the fatty. So with wine, you could come in as well and you don't want to clash with that, but you want to match the level of acidity with your wine pairing. Gotcha. Okay. What about barbecue? What are you pairing with <laughs> like barbecued ribs or chicken or whatever the case is? Yeah, be? barbecue gets really difficult, you know, because the, the instinct is to pair again the weight of your protein with the weight of your wine so chicken a little bit lighter than red meat so you might be thinking like a pinot noir or something like that however there's always sauce and sauce is kind of the boss with barbecue or the rub you know all of those spices and seasonings come into play and that really would throw off a wine pairing so it can be difficult but Try not to mess it up, I guess. Oh my gosh, that's too much pressure. Okay, how are we not messing it up? So first of all, I'm a vegetarian, so I'm not having barbecued ribs. But if I were having a barbecued buffalo cauliflower, let's say, how do I not mess that up? What do I put with that? Oh, so that's a great example. That brings in like one of the classic pairing options with food and wine, spicy. It would be going really well with sweet. You want to avoid uh, tannin typically with spicy. It's going to make both of them taste worse. So in order to make the buffalo aspect of it, we're talking about the sauce again rather than the cauliflower because that's going to be your main flavor. It's acidic and it's spicy. So you want to match that acidity and bring in some sweetness. And I would say a Riesling would be a really good option. Oh, nice. Okay, you said avoid tannin? With spice, typically tannin and spice are going to conflict with each other. Okay, and what do you mean tannin? Talk to me like I yeah, tannin would be something like tannin is in apple skins or nuts. Uh, Tannin is basically the part of the wine that comes from the seeds and the stems and the skins. It dries your mouth out when you drink it. Okay, interesting. I said, talk to me like I'm five years old, but I wouldn't be asking that question if I were five, maybe in France. Well, I have a five-year-old, so I'm talking to you like I'm talking to Carson. Oh, Carson. <laughs> okay. Is he going into kindergarten? Yes, he is. Nice. Yeah. So what is Carson eating for the summer? What's your family eating? It may not be as fancy as here at Rococo with a five-year-old. Watermelon fries, grilled corn. He likes barbecued chicken. Grilled corn, that's a good one. So I'm trying to think because in a lot of situations, I also have kids, you have people who drink 
and then people who don't, who either choose not to or aren't old enough. And so maybe the food is something like hot dogs and hamburgers. But how can you elevate the whole meal with the wine selection? Well, the most important thing is to always drink what you like. Because we can talk about food and wine pairings, but if that's going to give someone anxiety or they're not sure, you know, really at the end of the day, you want to drink something that you like. Okay, so if you were having something kind of like... Hot dogs and hamburgers, yeah. you know... Go with whatever you like. If you like Chardonnay, drink Chardonnay. Fine. Not the perfect pairing necessarily, but not terrible either. You know, you have fat in that hamburger and you're matching that with the weight of the wine. Chardonnay is going to be a little bit heavier bodied for white wines. And I think that would be a good option for white. For red, I would lean more towards something like a Malbec, Shiraz, Cabernet Sauvignon, something that's dry. So it's kind of like high end, low end with the food and the wine. We actually just interviewed Chef Kenny Gilbert in Jacksonville, who owns Silky's Chicken and Champagne Bar, and it's similar. Yes. So this is a this is another great example. You know, you're having a tangy, salty combination there with bubbles and waffles, bubbles and French fries. So champagne, French fries, champagne and waffles. It's a classic pairing. The salt does really well with the acidity. That sounds amazing. And then when I think about summer foods, a lot of times I don't want to cook at all. Maybe we're just doing a charcuterie or cheese and crackers. I don't know. Yeah. What do you drink with that? I'm going to lean into Italian wines, I think, with that. Especially northern Italian wines lend themselves so well to cured meats. Uh, meats like mortadella, soppressata, you know, really have a history of coming from northern Italy. And so that's where I would go for the wine as well. Thinking about other activities people do during the summer, things like going to the beach or camping, maybe a boat ride. Do you have any recommendations? I do have some recommendations. So we went deep sea fishing recently, and obviously I want to bring wine. So you can get these stainless steel thermoses and 750 milliliter bottle of wine will fit in some of those thermoses. So don't bring glass to the beach. Don't bring glass on a boat. Be careful with that. But those thermoses will keep a white wine cold. And then I had like a rubber bendy cup, you know, and that was perfect for, for the boat. Oh, good. <laughs> Any other summer food and wine recommendations? Well, actually, there are a couple wine holidays. So, like, Ooh, the first you've got it. You could be yeah, wrote notes. I love yeah, it. So this is this is basically covering the summer, and you'll see a theme here. Like white wines and bubbles are very popular in the summertime. Rosé as well. Uh, Prosecco week is June 11th through June 16th. So that's uh, kicking off the summer season of wine holidays. Rosé days June 13th. Any other maybe late summer holidays? Because summer is like fun. And then after a while, you sort of lose steam. And, and it would be fun to have an occasion. I mean, my birthday is in late August, so we can celebrate that. <laughs> yeah, late August, Cabernet Sauvignon Day, August 31st. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And Pinot Noir Day, August 18th. So, you know, they're like, if you want to celebrate these wine holidays, then go ahead and open a bottle of wine and make the food work with whatever you're drinking. Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. 
a mistake. Okay, people probably don't want to have you over for dinner, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, people want me to come to dinner because I'm going to pick the wine and they Ooh, won't have to think good. about it. <laughs> okay, good, good. It, but it might be like cooking for a chef. So what's a mistake you've seen someone make in pairing food and wine? Well, not matching the weight of the food with the weight of the wine. It's the first step in wine pairing. It's probably the most important. So that would be number one, I think. But as long as it's following the rule that you drink what you like, first of all, then then so be it. I'm never the type of person to criticize someone's food and wine pairing. If you like it, then that's great. But matching the weight of the food and the weight of the wine is probably most important. You have a dry red wine and a, a light flaky fish. They're really going to conflict with each other. The, the wine's going to overpower the flavors of the fish and the fish isn't going to taste as good with that, the tannin from the red wine. All right. Okay. I will invite you over for dinner. <laughs> now let's talk about you. How did you become so interested in wine? Is there a particular glass or bottle of wine that you recall just sort of making you fall in love? This is a question I get a lot as a sommelier and talking to people all the time. Everyone's interested, like, either, like, what's the best wine you've ever drank or what's the wine that got you interested in wine? And it's a really difficult question to answer, I think. Um, I got into wine with basic wines like anyone else, you know, because I, I wasn't a sommelier and a wine professional when I first drank wine. But those wines didn't really leave a... A lasting impact, I don't think. The the first wine that really left a lasting impact was probably a Sangiovese that I had from Tuscany in central Italy. And it really made the meal that we had that night. It was uh, my wife and my anniversary, and it was a bottle that we had at La Albatros in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. I'm from Cleveland. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, so I was working there before moving to Florida. I worked for uh, the Zach Brule restaurant group there, and... Uh, Worked under an advanced sommelier. His name is Robert Labuda, and he went on to do some pretty cool things. But he was a great mentor for me at that time for the years that I was in Cleveland. Well, we can geek out on Cleveland later. I don't know <laughs> if anyone else wants to hear that. <laughs> Chef Kenny Gilbert is also from Cleveland, so that's a, a connection. Do you think it's the wine or do you think it's the whole experience? Because it sounds like you were having a lovely evening with your wife, anniversary dinner. Can we separate the wine from the context? No, I don't think so. I think that the way that you taste a wine, you taste it differently depending on where you are and who you're with. It really changes your perception of it. Just like a, like a good meal. If you're eating it by yourself or in somewhere you don't want to be, you're not going to enjoy it as much. But when you're surrounded by people you love and you're having a good time, you're celebrating a special occasion, the wine will really become memorable and special then. And then you can always go back to that wine. Exactly. It's like a little little piece of history. So what's something you know about wine that you didn't know when you started out in this career? One of the most interesting things that I've picked up about wine over the years is interpreting the the language of wine, I think. If you're trying to select a bottle of wine, you see descriptions of the wine, tasting notes. And although they're actually like the flavors that you're tasting in the wine, it's also kind of a code. You know, the tasting notes often give you hints to the varietal and the soil that it's grown in, the climate, the winemaking process even. So that's something that I've been able to understand a lot more. 
it can be intimidating. So for the rest of us, if I sit down to a meal, what questions should I ask so that I don't feel stupid, but I also get the wine that I want? I think that putting maybe some trust in the sommelier you're working with, or if you're going to a local wine shop, whoever's buying those wines and selling those wines, they care about them and they know them better than anyone else probably. So, you know, I would say to trust someone, you express what you think you like in the wines that you've had before and trust someone to help lead you into the right decision. Uh, if you see things in tasting notes, you're trying to pick something out on your own. You see something like uh, vanilla, that's often an indication of oak. So those wines are going to be aged in oak. How do you go about curating wines for Rococo? And why do you focus on the smaller vineyards as opposed to mass-produced bottles? I like to focus on wines that I think are delicious and that I think if I'm passionate about the wine, then the guests will be passionate about the wine as well. It kind of, it, it translates. So I don't limit myself to just small producers. I have some big ones also. I, I love those ones as well. They're just wines that I think are delicious. Who are some of the big producers that we maybe would have more access to? BV would be a good one. Bolu Vineyards, uh, I think that they're, they're historically been around for a really long time. They make some great wines, although they're fairly commonly found. And then tell me about vintage wine. What makes a wine vintage and is it better? Yeah, so I think you're saying vintage in terms of like meaning an old wine. I hear vintage and I'm thinking like this wine has a date specified as when it was made. Not all wines do. Some wines are non-vintage and you won't see a, a, a year on the label. So I'm thinking, is it vintage? Is it designated for a year that it was grown? But if you're meaning an old wine, aging wine is when the secondary flavor components are coming into the wine. A wine, when it's young, you're getting all of this fruit character from the wine. And that's from the sugar and fermentation process and the grape skins. They're all fresh on the wine. Once the wine ages and sits for some time, the wine brings out more tertiary flavors like mushroom and soil. So it adds layers of flavor to the wine. And how long does that take? It depends on the wine, but some wines can age upwards of 30 years and some wines are ready to drink after seven, eight, and some are ready to drink when they're released, you know, within, within a year or two. Oh, it depends. <laughs> we were going to like a kid's birthday party the other day and I thought, oh, I should bring something. I should bring wine. And then the ones in the cabinet were from 2020 and I thought, well, is that like, is that good? Is that too fancy for a kid's party? Is that like not fancy enough? I have no idea yeah. what these numbers mean. Yeah. So the, the vintage, uh, you know, it just relates to a specific time at that place where the wine was made. You know, there was several wildfires in 2020, which affected growth in California and in Oregon. So those would be things to look out for possibly, but it, it depends. It depends. <laughs> we just have to call you. Okay, as we wind down here, I could talk to you all day, but what is your idea of a perfect summer day or maybe evening in Florida? What are you doing? What are you eating? What are you drinking? Who's with you? I would definitely want to be with family. I would want to be downtown visiting some of our great restaurants and wine shops and bars, you know, just walking around and enjoying the beautiful city that we live in. I love the sunsets on the beach. So that's where I would go. I would, you know, start with 
some bubbles. And I've been drinking a lot of white wine, actually. So I would probably keep it light, drink some white and save the reds for sunset. Oh, love that. What are you eating with the white wine? Oh, fish, definitely. Yeah, fresh fish around St. Pete. You know, we have some awesome fishing and really fresh seafood. So oysters and champagne, that sounds good. That's the dream. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a bottle that's on your summer bucket list that you haven't tried yet? Is there anything you haven't tried yet? There are a few wines that I haven't tried yet. On my summer bucket list. Well, I can't. I can't give it away. You know, there's wines I'm trying to get that are super rare. I don't. Let me tell some... you something. This isn't coming. By the time people hear this, you probably would have already drunk it because <laughs> this is probably gonna. We're recording this in early June. Uh, yeah. So on my summer bucket list, I would be drinking uh, Domaine Ponceau. They have a an Aligote that's Premier Cru. Domaine Ponceau is one of the great producers in Burgundy. And they are the only producer to produce a 100% Aligote Burgundy that is a Premier Cru wine. And that's very rare because uh, white grapes in Burgundy are all Chardonnay usually. And Aligote is kind of the, the other white grape that people don't talk about so much. But they do it really, really well. And I'm looking forward to being able to try that wine. So where would you get that? I would get that at... Rococo steak? <laughs> Correct answer. Or through, <laughs> I don't know, I guess the internet, you can probably find anything on the internet nowadays, but I have no idea where I would find one of those bottles in a local wine shop. I would have to hunt it down. That would be part of the fun. Okay, well, if anybody uh, finds a bottle, they know to bring it to you at Rococo. <laughs> you'll be a happy man. Well, this was great. I'm so inspired. I feel like I learned a little something about summer wines, and as long as I like it, there's really no wrong answer. That's right. Appreciate that. Will, this was fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Will Howard is sommelier at Rococo Steak in St. Petersburg. I wonder if he ever found that bottle of Aligote Burgundy. It's a cliffhanger. And we'd also love to see what you're drinking during this hot time. Wine, cocktails, mocktails, iced coffee. We want the details. Take a pic and tag us on Facebook or Instagram. We're at The Zest Podcast. I'm Delia Colon. I produce The Zest with Andrew Lucas. Our digital team includes Alexandria Ebron and Chandler Balcom. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2023, part of the NPR Network.